0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. We're going to uh, look this morning as we continue in our study of Philippians to chapter 1 and go through verses 12 through 18. So, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. We're going to see how a person can go from being a victim to victory. There was uh, two fellows, Ned and Jed, and they heard about a a big bounty put on wolves. And so they decided to go out looking for wolves to shoot some and make a lot of money. They hunted all day and they couldn't find any. And at the end of the day, they camped out in the woods, exhausted. They went to bed. In the middle of the night, Jed nudges Ned and said, Hey, wake up. We're surrounded by wolves. We're going to be rich. So they looked at, uh, at least he did, looked at wolves being surrounded by wolves as a thing that was an opportunity and not an obstacle. Um, And he was thinking about turning the bad circumstances into something good. And I think that kind of matches what we're Seeing in Paul's situation here, because he's in a bad situation, remember that the book of Philippians was written from prison as one of the prison epistles and not fun being in prison much less a Roman prison. Um, So you can imagine the difficulty there. And uh, then he mentions another problem that he has too as we read through the passage. But I think we'll relate because all of us go through bad circumstances at times and um, difficult times. How do we react when we're surrounded by wolves? Do we see opportunities or do we just consider ourselves a victim? And how can we turn those opportunities, uh, obstacles into opportunities? I think what's most on our mind right now is the present situation that we're going through with the pandemic situation. And um, how have you handled that? Uh, We have a choice. We can sit at home and whine about how bad everything is uh, or we can make the best of it and um, use it as an opportunity, perhaps even to share the gospel, as we'll see Paul did. I know it's opened new opportunities for me to share the gospel uh, in social media in ways I hadn't really anticipated. I know one family recently was talking to them, and when the virus hit, and his family was concerned about and fearing perhaps getting sick, that he arranged a Zoom meeting online for his whole family and just shared the gospel with them and uh, how he felt about um, uh, Jesus Christ and so forth, what he had done for him in his life. Now, his whole family was Catholic, so he didn't get the best reaction, but, but he used it as an opportunity, and that's my point. You can't change your circumstances and your unpleasant circumstances and the obstacles that you face, but you can change your heart about how you look at them and how you see them. You can either look at them like a victim, which we see a lot of today. We see people... Uh, Claiming to be victimized by society and by police and by um, different races and so forth. Uh, We've heard a lot about those who feel like victims and they're not seeing the opportunity that living in this country presents them. When we see the opportunity, we go from being a victim to a victor, especially when we know Jesus Christ and know that He's in control of our circumstances. So in the book of Philippians, we find Paul writing from prison. Originally, he wrote the book probably to thank them, uh, evidently to thank them for the gifts and contribution to his ministry, and to report on um, some of his uh, comrades or partners in ministry. The, what we find a lot about, read a lot about in the book is uh, how we think is important, and um, also the word joy becomes very important. And we're going to see that Paul even is rejoicing in his prison situation. The Philippians hadn't heard from Paul for probably about four years and you can imagine that there were some speculation and maybe rumors about his situation and so Paul seems to be giving an update here. He starts out in verse 12 by saying, I want you to know, brothers. And so he's kind of just giving them an update about his situation. And when he does that, we get a glimpse into his heart um, and and how he has chosen to uh, view some things. Uh, not so much theologically as just emotionally, and one commentator, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, comments uh, that some passages must be understood by the emotions as well as the mind. So when we read Philippians one and Paul's experience in prison, uh, hopefully we can identify with him emotionally, and not just track with him logically. So let me let me just start by reading. Um, The passage first, and I'll read verses 12 through 18. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice. So in these uh, passage verses I want to point out three truths, and the first is very evident, and we've already said in verse 12, bad things can happen to good people. Uh, Paul's circumstances were bad at the time, on, on the superficial level anyway. He was in prison, and he's writing to tell them, uh, I want you to know, and he's updating them. And he says, the things which happened to me. Now, uh, Just that little phrase passes over all of his history up to this point, because we know that he went through many, many troubles, many obstacles, a lot of uh, persecution. All the time he was being persecuted and chased by his enemies and harassed by his enemies. But if we even think of the last part of his uh, his uh, life before he wrote the book of Philippians, before he ended up in a Roman prison, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He was in prison for two years in Caesarea. He was taken by ship to Rome. Uh, the ship wrecked and uh, he survived that. And then he ends up in a Roman prison. And not fun. You can read about a lot of his other difficult circumstances in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and also in the book of Acts. Paul wanted to go to Rome, but he wanted to go as a preacher, not a prisoner. But in God's sovereignty, he went as a prisoner. So bad things can happen to good people. If they can happen to the Apostle Paul, they can certainly happen to us as well. And you know that. And there's different reasons that bad things happen. We don't always know. Sometimes it's just a matter of circumstances that we can't control or can't anticipate. Uh, A virus breaks out and goes around the world, and we don't know why or how it happened exactly. There's a lot that we don't know. Sometimes opposition comes from Satan himself and the things that he throws at us. Sometimes it's discipline from God. He's correcting us in some way, uh, maybe teaching us something and and training us in some way. Sometimes uh, opposition comes when we preach the gospel. We get persecuted for that. There's different reasons for bad things to happen. We can't always know why they happen. We can't can't control what happens, but we can use it for good. What we need to be careful of, I think, in these bad situations is trying to come up with simplistic answers. And uh, when we really don't know what the reason or the cause of the, the problem is, I remember getting a call from a lady one time calling from Dallas, and she had just lost her three year old daughter in a house fire. And uh, she went to church, and, and the pastor said, Well, the reason that happens is because you haven't been coming to church lately and uh, I had to kind of deal with that situation and that perspective and that that pretty stupid pastor who said that uh, to presume that he knows what God is doing sovereignly in a situation like that. So be careful of simplistic answers. Bad things happen. We don't always know why. We may not always know why in this life. Uh, We we will not know why God allows a, a virus to go around in the world and kill many people and shut down so many ministries in so many ways. And yet, doors are always, uh, always being open, because God is in control. So, in these bad circumstances, that's what we know as Christians: that God is in control. And when we know this, uh, we won't play on people's sympathy by saying, "Oh, my, my poor family, my poor body." You know, we're always moaning and groaning about something as victims. But if God is in control, then He anticipated; He knew about it in advance. And we can trust in his sovereign uh, and goodwill. <clears throat> One friend said to another, he said, how you doing? And the other friend said, well, I'm pretty good under the circumstances. And the first friend said, well, what are you doing under there? The um, Point is, is that we shouldn't be under our circumstances. We know God is over our circumstances and allows things to happen to us. And I think Paul had that very important perspective when he wrote the book of Philippians and uh, in his prison experience also. So bad things happen to good people, but God is in control. Uh, the second point I think I, w- I want to make from verses 12 and 14 is the second part of verse 12, is that God can use our circumstances to further the gospel. And he wants them to know, he says, that what happened to him is actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And that term furtherance is, uh, means to make some headway. It was used nautically to forge ahead and to make headway in the water. And it was used militarily of some those who made headway on the battlefield or advance in an army. Uh, so it turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel made greater headway in with Paul in his circumstances than it maybe would have otherway, otherwise. And it also gave him contact with the loss. In verse 13, it says, it became evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that his chains were in Christ. Now the palace guard of course refers to the whole uh, complex I think of, of Roman uh, soldiers and the prison complex there, the imperial guard, but he says the rest which would include other officials, other soldiers, uh, would include perhaps servants and slaves even that, that might have had been forced to wait on him. What Paul is saying, and he wasn't put away in a corner of a damp cell without any contact at all, but his life was influencing those around him, which were many at the time. In spite of his very, very stark circumstances and his captivity of being literally locked down, he was able um, to have an influence. Um, I think we often take for granted the freedom that we we have now, and... um, don't appreciate uh, the opportunities it gives us. Uh, Benjamin Weir was a missionary in Lebanon. He was taken hostage by Hezbollah, the terrorist organization. And I'm on a TV interview, uh, he said the greatest thing about being free was being freed as a hostage. After he was freed. He said the greatest thing about being free was able to do the little things I wanted to do. Like sleep in bed, go to, t- go to the toilet, get a drink of water. Look out the window when I wanted to. So you imagine that the Apostle Paul was not able to even do some of these things being chained to a soldier. Who knows if they even had windows there. Uh, So we have the freedom to get out and about, even though we're restricted somewhat in the present situation. But we still have the freedom to get out and about and uh, share the gospel with those around us. Probably Paul was chained, they believed, to a guard for six hours a stretch at a time. So in a 24-hour stretch of time, he would have been chained to a guard for um, four times. Different guards heard him speak the gospel to them. And not only that, but he says in verse 14, not only was he sharing the gospel with all those around him, but he says, most of the brethren in the Lord, um, having become confident now, the, I, the phrase brethren in the Lord is probably not the best reading. It's probably most of the brethren being confident in the Lord um, because of his chains, because brethren in the Lord is a little bit redundant. So he's talking about their, the, the brethren who have become confident in the Lord because of his chains. Um, so it had an impact on those who are watching him go through this difficult time, and um, He was pioneering the gospel in a prison cell, and that encouraged them to speak the word of God boldly uh, without fear on the outside of the prison. And that's what the influence often does of those who are bold to witness. I don't know about you, but I know that I get encouraged by when I see people sharing the gospel and being bold, and I'm emboldened by that. I had a friend like that at Bible college, and uh, he was wanting to share the gospel all the time everywhere. And uh, I ended up going with him quite a few places. He would forge ahead into places I wouldn't even consider going, like downtown Washington, D.C. in the red light district late at night. We would go down there. Things don't pick up in the red light district till about 11 o'clock. So we'd start about 11 and witness to people on the streets, a lot of them high school boys and so forth, looking for fun. And we would share the gospel with them till 2 or 3 in the morning. Um, but I w- wouldn't have done that on my own, but because he took the initiative and was bold to do it, uh, I went with him. And we did that quite often. Um, So others were aware of Paul's situation and what he was doing. They were watching him, so to speak, or at least hearing reports about what he was doing. And you can be sure that there's others who are watching you and um, watching your experience. And the more we share the gospel with others, the more we are bold to share that gospel in our circumstances with our circle of influence. I think the more we'll embolden others as well. And maybe, uh, maybe to share the gospel more and to get our people mobilized to do more evangelism, we need to lock up the pastors and uh, leaders in the church. And that would get people sharing the gospel more. That's what happened here anyway. I found that to be true in China when I was there is uh, a lot of the younger generation and the younger pastors, uh, they were boldly standing against the government they were not afraid to share their faith and they, this is, was their explanation to me. They said, well our fathers, that means the former generation of pastors, our fathers went to jail for their faith so we feel like it would be a blessing for us to go too. So they weren't trying to avoid jail, they were actually uh, daring almost the Chinese officials to take them to jail because of the boldness of their fathers. They were emboldened to share the gospel in the, that communist country. So. When we think of Paul and his chains, he used the opportunity to share the gospel and it it not only influenced those around him, but influenced the Christian brothers and sisters who were watching him or knew about it. Uh, You might find yourself in circumstances where you feel chained up, um, quarantined or locked down, um, maybe to your house or maybe to a desk or maybe to a countertop or a workbench or um, you're handicapped physically or in some other way. Maybe you feel like you're confined to a classroom um, or a work cubicle. Uh, there's different ways you might feel chained, uh, but really, uh, when you look around you, there will, there will be opportunities and others will be watching you, I believe. Um, think in the past of uh, those who have gone through difficult times who otherwise could have c- complained about being victims and being chained by their circumstances, like Susanna Wesley who had 19 children. And when you have 19 children, you're pretty much chained to your home and your kids, I would think. But yet from that household came John Wesley, the great evangelist, and Charles Wesley, the evangelist and songwriter whose songs we sing quite often. Think of Johnny Erickson Tada, who broke her uh, neck and was paralyzed from the neck down as a teenager and yet had a lifetime and still has a lifetime of ministering to others and sharing with others. I think of a young lady we had in our youth group when I was a youth pastor who was confined to a wheelchair, and she didn't complain, but instead she shared the gospel with others who were in her special classes, and uh, and many of them came to know the Lord and came into our youth group because of her. Fanny Crosby, who was blind at a young age, wrote many of our hymns, John Bunyan, Chuck Colson, serving time in prison, and yet producing a lifetime afterwards of ministry and um, literature Uh, and and a legacy of sharing the gospel. So don't let your chains drag you down. You're not a victim. You can be a victor uh, through Jesus Christ. And who is it that's chained with you when you look around? Who has it brought you into closer contact with? Your children, your family, your co-workers? Um, Maybe that's who God wants you to share the gospel with. So God can use our circumstances to further the gospel. And um, I think Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 9, that the gospel is not chained. So even though he wrote that again from a prison cell, the gospel is not chained. And the third thing I want to point out is from verses 15 through 18, you can rejoice in your circumstances. Um, Now, Paul had an additional problem when he was in prison. Uh, it seems there were some who were envious of him or felt like competitors with him and his adverse circumstances being in prison became an opportunity for them to advance themselves selfishly and by preaching the gospel, no less. So they took advantage of the fact that Paul was now confined and limited in his activity to uh, advance and preach the gospel but to their own benefit so it wasn't always with the best motives and that's why he says in verse 15 some preach Christ from envy and strife and some also from goodwill so you had two groups some who were preaching because they're envious and they wanted to get a bigger uh, piece of the pie maybe piece of the christian pie at the time and uh, there were others who were doing it out of goodwill both of them used Christ's name both of them preached the gospel Uh, We have no reason to, if Paul says they're preaching the gospel and preaching Christ, we have no reason to doubt that they were preaching a good gospel at this point. Um, But they were promoting themselves and their their ministry. It was a political thing more than a spiritual exercise. Um, Just like uh, today we would see many who uh, preach the gospel in an adverse way, there is competition in the Christian world, in the world of ministry, unfortunately, and much of it is political. Um, So who were they? Well, in verse 14, he talks about brethren being more bold to speak the word. And then the word word some in verse 15 seems to refer back to verse 14. So it was some of the brethren, uh, legitimate Christians, real Christians, who were doing this. Um, They were preaching it for personal advance, not for doctrinal truth necessarily. They were jealous perhaps of Paul's ministry and his authority and they were wanting to take advantage of that. Um, just as you would you would picture that probably more easily in our world of politics and how it operates and, and people devour one another even though they might be from the same party but here it was uh, Christian preachers devouring um, The Apostle Paul, figuratively anyway, while he sits in a prison. The bottom line to Paul, though, that was important is that Jesus Christ was being preached. He was able to look out and get the bigger picture of what was happening. And instead of becoming bitter against his enemies or depressed about his circumstances, what he knew and what he liked was that Jesus Christ was being preached. And so he gave that much to them. Uh, he gave them that much credit. The story is told of um, someone came up to John Wesley, and John Wesley was a contemporary of George Whitfield. They came from opposite, well, they came from actually the same place, but they ended up in opposite ends of the doctrinal spectrum. And someone asked John Wesley, uh, do you expect to see George Whitfield in heaven? And John Wesley said, no. And the person said, oh, you think that he's not a believer? And John Wesley said, no, I just believe he's going to be so close to the throne and I'm going to be so far in the back that I won't be able to see him. It was a very generous thing to say if that story is true. Um, But I think it also points out the fact, if it's true, that Wesley was able to give Whitfield credit for preaching the gospel. I think they both probably preached a similar gospel up front. It was only... Uh, when they departed from that and went into uh, other issues that it became very clear. Clear, I mean very confusing. So Paul is actually rejoicing then that Christ is being preached. Someone said he was able to crush the feeling of personal annoyance to rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ was preached. But notice it was it comes across as a decision that he made. Um, He says, I will, I rejoice and will rejoice. So he wasn't being controlled by his circumstances, but Paul was determined to take control of his circumstances and chose to rejoice in the midst of those bad circumstances. I think there's a lesson here for all of us that we can choose to be joyful even when things aren't going our way even in the midst of uh, terrible circumstances. If Paul can rejoice in prison, we can rejoice in a pandemic. If Paul can rejoice in locked in chains, we can rejoice locked in our homes. Um, if Paul can rejoice in his terrible circumstances, we can rejoice in ours. I think we'll find out the reason he could rejoice is because he had the mind of Christ. And that's what comes out in chapter 2. So we'll reserve comment for then, but he he was thinking the way Christ wanted to think. His mind was on heavenly things. He saw the bigger picture. He trusted in the sovereignty of God. He was rejoicing in what God was doing instead of complaining about what God didn't do or what his circumstances were. So bad things can happen to good people. And God can use those things in his sovereignty to do something good like advance the gospel or to work on our own lives to give us a bigger and better perspective of uh, who God is and, and what he can do. Um, we shouldn't let circumstances determine our attitude. I, I saved a story some years from years ago, um, which is an amazing story, and I, I'm going to condense it and then read a small part of it. But it's about Chuck Colson, uh, who wrote the book Born Again, and was served under Nixon as his lawyer but became a Christian and he visited Zambia and a missionary took him to one of the prisons in Zambia, South Africa and it's in southern part of Africa. Um, I've been in uh, African jails and in prisons in third world countries and um, it's as bad as you can imagine. So they had a guide there who was a former prisoner who volunteered to take them and show them the prison. In fact They had the main prison but then they had an inner prison that was kind of a secret prison for the worst criminals and he said do you want to see that secret part of the prison and they said well yeah and they were surprised that he had offered so they went in there and they found about 120 men all crammed into a very small space so crammed crammed and crowded that they couldn't all sleep at one time and and even lay down on the floor at one time but uh when they approached they they saw uh the prisoners all crowded in there and they said the the smell was just unbearably uh foul and the stench was terrible there was no place for them to defecate and uh and so it was just in the heat and the humidity of course and the airlessness uh, added to it so that Coulson says he could hardly breathe um and I'm just going to read a portion of this and yet they he he says Here's what happened when Nego, the guide, told them who we were. Eighty of the 120 prisoners went to the back wall and assembled in rows. At a given signal, they began singing hymns, Christian hymns, in beautiful four-part harmony. Nego whispered to me that 35 of those men had been sentenced to death and would soon face execution. And then uh, Colson writes, I was overwhelmed by the contrast between their peaceful, serene faces and the horror of their surroundings. Just behind them in the darkness I could make out an elaborate charcoal sketch drawn on the wall. It showed Jesus stretched out on a cross. The prisoners must have spent hours working on it, and it struck me with great force that Christ was there with them. He was sharing their suffering and giving them joy enough to sing in such a place. Well, I don't think I would feel like singing right now in a place like that. But here, these prisoners were able to find joy because they realized that Jesus Christ was with them. God, in his sovereignty, is in control of even the bad things when they happen to us. Uh, We can ask why. We may not get answers. Maybe a better question is to ask what? What can I do to take advantage of this opportunity? So what is your prison today? Um, What are your chains? could be very painful. It could it could hurt very much. But if we look outside of ourselves, what is God trying to do? Who is around us that could be influenced by our testimony? Who's watching us that could be emboldened to speak the gospel? Or who needs to hear the gospel? Um, it, are people seeing Jesus Christ in us under our difficult circumstances? In these days of um, the pandemic, we've all been tried in in, in different ways. Um, Some have reacted badly. Some have reacted in a very godly way. Um, How would people say that you reacted? Can you see what God is trying to do and be creative and how to further the gospel in your situation? So Paul here tells us that we don't have to be a victim, but that we can live in victory. God is in control even when things are not going well. And let me just lead in a word of prayer here. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we see even today from the experiences of the Apostle Paul. And we know many Christians who went before us experienced terrible hardships that we could never imagine or will never have to go through. And yet they were able to rejoice and the gospel went out from them. Father, today, whether our problems be physical, financial, or health wise, or social uh, relationships, whatever it is that's uh, binding us and could cause us to complain. We just pray that you would use that for the furtherance of the gospel, that we might reflect him when people see us in our difficulties, that that Jesus Christ might be proclaimed by all um, and to all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.